Do you work with children with hearing loss? Lindsay Peterson joins me today to talk about how SLPs can promote opportunities for self-advocacy for children who are deaf or hard of hearing and how to provide services to this population via teletherapy. Hey there, and welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. My name is Benita Litvak, and I am so grateful you're here. I'm an ASHA certified speech language pathologist, author, and augmentative and alternative communication consultant who is obsessed with helping SLPs like you stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other SLPs in the trenches. Have you ever wondered how other SLPs seem to be doing it all with ease? Well, around here, you'll get to hear firsthand how SLPs are really getting things done while keeping evidence-based practice and self-care in mind. Think of this as a coffee date with your SLP friends. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while we learn together. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. You can also follow along on Instagram at Speechy Side Up. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Peterson. Lindsay is a speech language pathologist in Philadelphia. She specializes in working with children with hearing loss and has been supporting students for over 12 years. She also teaches oral rehabilitation and habilitation in the Communication Sciences and Disorders program at LaSalle University. Hey, Lindsay, thank you so much for coming today. Let's start with painting a picture for the listeners, telling them about who you are and what you do today. Okay, well, thank you, Vanita. I'm so thrilled to be here and to be talking with you today. Um, So, yes, as you mentioned, I'm a speech-language pathologist in the Philadelphia area. Um, I've been practicing for going on 13 years now. I did my undergraduate degree at Loyola University in Maryland. Um, I actually had started on the pre-med track there and realized very quickly that it was not quite the right fit for me. Um, so I had a wonderful advisor at the time who encouraged me to take a few speech classes. Um, and also, you know, our, our field has that intersection um, and collaboration and um, some overlap with the medical profession. So she felt that it could be a great fit for me. I also happened to be at a wonderful program. You know, Loyola has a very strong program in speech for both undergraduate and the graduate programs. So I took a few courses. I absolutely fell in love with the field and I knew it was, you know, where I was meant to be and what I was meant to do with my life. So then, you know, I did the next necessary steps of getting my master's degree and uh, moving on to my clinical fellowship year. I always knew I wanted to work in pediatrics, but I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to specialize. So I spent years garnering as much experience as possible and seeing as much as I could in the field. So everything from autism spectrum disorder, apraxia, fluency, feeding, um, language, you name it. I tried to get some experience doing it. Um, And during this time, I also established a private practice. And then about seven years ago, I accepted a position at the Clark School in Philadelphia. And this is where I fully immersed myself in working in the world of hearing loss. 
Um, we here at Clark Philadelphia have a strong partnership with LaSalle University. And it was through that partnership that I started teaching the oral rehabilitation course in the graduate program at LaSalle. So here I am. Um, by, by day, I work with children who are deaf or hard of hearing. And by evening right now, I'm, I'm teaching the future SLPs of our communities about hearing loss and how to work with clients with hearing loss. Wow, you have a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping busy for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it. So can you tell me a little bit more about the school itself? Sure. Um, Clark has actually been established for over 150 years. Wow. We have, yeah, yeah, we've been here for a long time. Um, we have five campuses along the East Coast. Um, so I work, as I mentioned, at the Philadelphia campus. Um, our mission is to help infants, preschoolers, and school-aged children who are deaf or hard of hearing build the listening, learning, and spoken language skills they need to succeed. So we're a listening and spoken language program. Um, that means all of the students and all of the children we work with utilize some type of hearing technology that gives them access to speech and sound. So, you know, hearing aids, cochlear implants, um, bone-anchored hearing aids. And we, we offer um, services to about 1,000 children annually. Wow. So five campuses on the East Coast, and you serve over 1,000 children a year. That's incredible in total throughout all the schools. Uh, I imagine with the pandemic and the new challenges that and considerations your SLPs have faced, how have you done the shift to virtual learning while keeping in mind children who are deaf and hard of hearing? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's often one of the first questions I, I was asked when we made this shift to virtual learning. Um, you know, how does this work with children who are deaf or hard of hearing? You know, as you know, in our field, the model of teletherapy and teleservices is not new. Um, and it's, it's really not new for Clark either. We've uh, first established a teleservices program in 2013. But for the majority of our families and children, um, you know, the shift to virtual learning was a drastic one and a complete change from their known and established uh, service delivery model. You know, whether that be an early intervention or here at the preschool where I work, you know, the students are used to coming on the bus, you know, five days a week to school. So it was a really big change. Um, you know, what I tell people who, who ask the question, it, it is possible to do teleservices with children who are deaf or hard of hearing, but we had to really establish some practices early on to make it successful. So one thing we have to ensure during every virtual learning opportunity is that the child's technology is working correctly. So their hearing technology, you know, when we're in person, that's often a very hands-on process, you know, checking the equipment, troubleshooting their equipment. Um, but when we're through a computer screen, you know, it's a little bit more challenging. So sometimes this involves partnering with the parent or the caregiver on the other side of the screen to work through the steps to make sure their, their technology was working appropriately. Another big, another big practice that we had to establish early on is making sure we were minimizing as much background noise as possible. 
both for us, the, the speaker and the professional, and then also for the child. We know that background noise has an enormous impact on speech perception. So this was our opportunity to you know, talk this through with the child or the parent or caregiver on how important it is to have a quiet environment for the child to best access speech and the auditory information being exchanged. Um, and then something we, we talk a lot to the children about very early on is establishing a good listening posture. So making sure, you know, they're seated upright and, you know, their feet are grounded either on the floor or a chair. Um, just again, so they're in the best position for optimal learning. Uh, and then for us as speakers, we want to sure that, ensure that we are well lit um, and visually accessible to the child. And again, that we're providing the best auditory input during our sessions. So I think these practices could really benefit all children, um, but they're especially beneficial to our children who are working really hard to learn through listening and those auditory centers of the brain. Yeah, I love those tips. So I just want to summarize those practices that you shared, because I think those are really applicable for anybody who's doing teletherapy, but especially an SLP who's providing services to children who are deaf or hard of hearing. So you said, you know, to make sure the tech is working correctly, uh, minimizing the background noise and establishing good listening posture. Was there any others? Sure. And then just again, as us as the professionals on the other side of the screen, just making sure that we're, you know, in a well-lit room and that we're visually accessible too. Um, you know, the children are learning through audition and listening, but it's also important because, you know, audibility can be slightly compromised through, through virtual, the virtual platform that they can see us clearly too. Yes, that's so important. Thank you for sharing that one as well. So... Sure. How can SLPs also promote opportunities for self-advocacy for children who are deaf or hard of hearing uh, and helping them work through their communication breakdowns? Yeah, so great question. And this is, this is something very central to working with children with hearing loss. Um, you know, self-advocacy and advocacy in general is a really huge focal point of Clark's program and our work. Uh, you know, right from the start, you know, really from the diagnosis, we're working with the child and the family on building their self-advocacy skills. And most of our children have um, self-advocacy skills written into their IFSPs or their IEPs. Um, so self-advocacy can really cover a broad range of, of skills and topics. Um, it includes the child being able to understand the, the function of their technology, um, the parts of their technology, how to manage it, um, how to position themselves in the classroom or at home or, you know, when they're in, at the grocery store with mom and dad to optimize their auditory access. Um, and then we also want to work on giving children the language to alert their communication partner if they didn't hear or didn't understand the message. And by that same token, we're also working on giving children the skills to repair communication breakdowns, as you noted. Um, so I think we've all had this experience 
with the transition to virtual everything, um, you know, there's times where we experience these breakdowns with technology glitches or, you know, someone freezing or audio issues. And it can be so frustrating when, you know, you're in a meeting or you're, you know, you're, you're presenting or you're trying to, um, you know, get a point across and these things are happening. Um, and, and this happens with children too, you know, any children, any child, really, even a child with typical hearing. But for, for our children with hearing loss who are already working so hard to hear and listen, um, it's very, very frustrating. So, you know, they're working hard to hear and listen, and then they're also building their speech and language skills to be better understood by others. Um, so again, the nature of all of, all of this change and the transition to virtual learning and teleservices has provided us as professionals with a lot of opportunities to work on those um, self-advocacy skills and communication breakdowns. Um, and something I find that works well is when I kind of take it on myself and I pretend that I did not hear or understand perhaps the child. Um, so its benefits are twofold really. You know, one, it gives me the opportunity to model the language like, oh, I didn't hear you. Can you say that louder? Or I didn't understand what you said. Can you try to say it in a different way? Um, you know, it, it lets these little ones know that it's okay when that happens. Um, it happens to us as adults too. And we can find a way to fix it and work together. Yes, I love that. And I'm sure there are opportunities where you really don't hear them. And it's great that you're able to model the language at that point for them. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of what we do with working with this, you know, population with children who are deaf or hard of hearing is a lot of modeling. So modeling the language that we're looking for, um, you know, while they're they're working on building it themselves. That's great. So I know you kind of mentioned some of the technology that they use in the school, but can we talk about it a little bit more? I guess more in relation to like teletherapy or teleservices. I'm sure, mm -hmm. are you using like captioning? What other things should people be aware of that they could be using uh, for teleservices? Yes, so I know for as the speaker um, or the professional who's providing the teleservices, you know, there's lots of different headphones. You may know this well as being a host of a podcast, um, <laughs> headphones on the, the speaker side that promote, you know, great audibility and sound. Um, and then on the child's side, like I said, just making sure they're utilizing their technology. We also have remote microphone technology. So that's something like a DM, a digital modulation, or an FM, which is a frequency modulation system. So you can put those, um, those transmitters up to the sound source and it, it magnifies the sound. Um, so that's something if the child has one of those systems at home, they could also utilize during virtual learning. And then, you know, I, I have seen with Zoom that there is the new feature of closed captioning. And that could be something, you know, that perhaps our mainstream department might work with with older students. A lot of the times, too, it's just it's just providing strategies that, um, you know, promote better, better listening skills um, for the child. And a lot of times, like I said, that might 
involve talking directly to the child about it or or engaging the parent or the caregiver in and in bringing them into the session as well. Yeah, those are great. Uh, this is a question out of my own curiosity and partly because my dad is a hearing specialist, but I'm wondering mm -hmm. some of the tech that the children use, are they able to Bluetooth to their computer? So it, the sound is more like crisp going from the computer to their hearing system, or do you like to keep it separated? No, absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of the new technology ha have those features available. So absolutely. You know, we want, we want the children to be able to use what works best for them. Um, and, you know, in the preschool, we're working with three to five-year-olds. So, you know, they're young children, but that's an opportunity too, to work through that, you know, with the parent or the professional, oh, let's try this. Let's see if you can hear me better. Um, so we absolutely encourage, um, you know, the, the parents and the families and the children to, to really take advantage of the, the technology and the technology is amazing these days. And that's an also an opportunity for us as the speech language pathologists or teachers of the deaf to collaborate with the audiologist to, to learn more about that because, you know, there are some things that aren't quite in my scope of practice and that's where I go right to the audiologist for support. Yeah, that's great that you're able to collaborate with them. So let's talk about parent participation. How has the shift from on-site learning to teleservices required increased daily parent participation? Yeah, so as we know, you know, with this, the pandemic and everything moving to more of a virtual platform, it's been challenging and overwhelming for many of us, really regardless of the role that we play. Um, Something I think that's been especially hard for parents, um, the parents that we and the families that we work with is navigating their concerns and worries about the child's progress and rate of progress with, with this change in service delivery. Um, so many of our families are keenly aware of how important and critical this time is for their children. Um, you know, these weeks, months, years of auditory speech and language development you know, now is the time for intervention. It's when the brain is most neuroplastic. And I think many of our families are concerned about how this would affect their child's continued growth and development. On top of that, you know, a lot of our families are juggling full-time jobs and other children and responsibilities and just the general stressors of what's going on. So we saw this as an opportunity to partner with the parents in whatever way they were capable of. Um, so whether that was providing parents with strategies and ideas of things they could do at home with a child, or actually inviting the parents or caregivers into our sessions. Um, you know, the students at our preschool receive speech, auditory speech and language therapy five days a week. So it was an opportunity to bring the parents in to really see the work that we do and what we do every day with their children when they're at school. Um, so again, you know, it's not possible for all families, but we would, our job really was to find a way to, to let the families know that we will work together to keep these children on track and keep them progressing towards their goals. And anything is better than nothing. And it really doesn't take, you know, any fancy tricks or toys or gadgets. 
um, you know, just talking to your child at home or narrating your everyday routines provides such rich language for them. Um, so there's always a way that we can, we can work through this together. Absolutely. So are you strictly online still? Or are you doing like part-time? How is that working? So at the, at the, the Clark Philadelphia campus, we are back in person now. Um, so we've, we've had to shift a little bit back and forth. Um, we've had a lot of snow in this, in this area over the last few weeks. So we've had some virtual snow days. Um, and so we've, we've had to be flexible at moving back and forth between the two service delivery models. But right now we are back in person. So it's, it's, it's new, it's just as, as of this week, but it's been really, really great seeing all the students and the children in person. I bet that must be really nice to see them again. That's great. Um, all right, so let's talk about like the fun things that you can do in therapy through teleservices uh, while continuing to address auditory speech and language goals. Sure. So I, I think for all of us as you know, speech language pathologists, we've had to learn to be creative over the past year. Um, you know, not only changing the service delivery model, but um, you know, connecting and engaging through a virtual platform, which you know, is, it can be challenging. Um, something that Clark has started incorporating this year actually is a, a, a strong focal or focus on social emotional development and social emotional learning. Um, and we've actually implemented the Kamochi's curriculum. I'm not sure if you've heard of that curriculum, um, but it's exactly that. It's a social emotional uh, curriculum for preschool and school age children. And, you know, with the, the changes and the transitions and moving back and forth between you know, teleservices and in-person learning. Um, it's a lot of unpredictability in these children's little worlds. Um, so we, we found this curriculum to be a really great way to help them process and regulate some of those bigger feelings they might be having or harder feelings they might be having. So that's something that we've been incorporating into our daily teletherapy sessions. Um, the children seem to really love it and take, take into it. They they love the feelings chart. They love talking about their feelings, identifying their feelings. And as SLPs, we know this also taps into those important pragmatic language skills. So it's a little bit twofold in, in its benefits. Um, and then, you know, apart from that, I think the biggest takeaway really has just been finding ways to be flexible and creative and you know, what we tell parents and caregivers is that there's always a way to target your child's goals. We can always find a way, even if, you know, things completely derail or our lesson plans go completely awry, uh, we can find a way. And, um, you know, this happened to me earlier on in the pandemic when, you know, uh, you know, my plan, my plan did not go accordingly it it started to derail and you know it was it's frustrating it was frustrating for the child they're used to seeing us in person and engaging in a very dynamic way and so we just abandoned the lesson and we made scrambled eggs together um I just brought brought the laptop in the kitchen and he loved it he was he was 
telling me, giving me directions and using nice vocabulary to tell me the materials I needed. And it worked. And I, I told the parents, you know, this is, this is a great example that we will find a way and, you know, not to worry that this isn't going to, um, you know, this isn't going to hinder their progress. We, you know, we can learn to be, you know, patient with this. We can learn to be flexible. And I think for whatever role you play, whether you're a parent, you know, you're the, the child, the professional, you've just learned to be very resilient through all of this. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that example about making scrambled <laughs> eggs together. That is so fun. And you loved it. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it gave me ideas to do more hands-on type things like that in, in sessions because it really, it was, it was successful when I thought, when I thought things were completely derailed, it changed, you know, it shifted, shifted everything. Yeah. That's such a good idea. So how do you spell Kamochi? For the curriculum? Um, sure. It's K-I-M-O-C-H-I-S. S? S, yes. Okay. I almost had it right. I just missed that S at the end. <laughs> um, great. All right. So that's the curriculum. Now, if people don't have access to that curriculum, maybe they can't get funding through their district. Do you have any favorite like websites that you like to use through teleservice that maybe are free that people can access? Yeah, I mean, the Kamochi's, the Kamochi's website, it has a great website, and it actually has a lot of free resources. So I would encourage if someone's interested in learning more about that particular social-emotional learning curriculum or just the benefits of social-emotional learning for preschool and school-age children to check out the website. Um, that's really how we got into it. One of our um, speech-language pathologists had, I believe, seen a presentation at a conference, and we just... You know, just kind of delved into it and did a little research, but there are some great resources on there and you can see the different characters and I believe the feelings charts are part of the free resources, which, as I said, our students seem to really love and gravitate towards. Um, and then I, I do the typical, I think like most speech language pathologists, you know, teachers pay teachers. Um, that's a great site. And oftentimes I'm just Googling, looking up, you know, easy easy at home experiments or what you can do with little to no materials. Um, so it's accessible to any family. You don't need you know, necessarily a printer or, you know, a bunch of different types of materials. We can just find what works in the house. Um, so really that's, that's been my strategy throughout the past year. Great tips. Thanks for sharing those. Awesome. Well, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up today? I don't think so. I'm just really, again, thankful for having me on and I enjoyed talking to you and just sharing a little bit more about Clark and our mission and these children and families, because they're, as you know, from, you know, the clients you work with, they're so special to us. And um, yeah, just thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. So where can everybody find and connect with you guys? Sure. So um, you could check out our website, um, www.clarkschools.org, um, and you can get a good grasp of our history and our different campuses, our five different campuses, and 
There's some pictures and videos. Um, we also have a Facebook and Instagram page that you can check out if you want to learn a little bit more about, you know, the families that we serve every day. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again, Lindsay. This has been such a pleasure and I am going to go follow you guys on Instagram now. Oh, thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. All right. You too. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, have you joined the SSU crew yet? By joining, you get access to the free good section on our website, plus podcast updates, special event notifications, and therapy inspiration. You can sign up at bit.ly slash join SSU crew, all lowercase, or just find the link in this episode description. Also, don't forget to take a screenshot of this episode so that you can always refer back to it and share it on social media if you really love the topic. Take care and remember to always fill your speechy side cup first before you can pour into others.